according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Join me in Luke 11 this morning, where we will be just briefly, and uh, resume where we left off last week. Last week, we uh, wrapped up our survey of happiness passages. So now you've got all the ammunition in the world you need for happiness. Uh, today we're going to uh, contrast that with the blessing passages. And I wanted to do both, not so much because blessing occurs here. Uh, happiness is the context of Luke 11. But uh, because the terms are so conflated that uh, a lot of times people confuse blessings with happiness. And they think that, well, obviously if you're blessed, you're happy. Or you're happy because God blesses you. Uh, and if God stops blessing you, then you'll stop being happy. Our, our we have to ask the question, is happiness conditional based upon how blessed we are or how blessed we think we are? Or is happiness a capacity of soul that God provides through occupying with his word? And over the last couple of weeks in surveying the happiness passages, I think we've come to a pretty uh, unanimous conclusion on that. In Luke 11, while Jesus is ministering here, um, all kinds of evil is spoken against him, and he's accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, and there's all kinds of things. Well, in the middle of all this chaos going on, contributing even more chaos is this woman jumping up and shouting uh, in verses 27 and 28. And she is uh, doctrinally inaccurate in the things that she is proclaiming. So while Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, On the contrary. So important that we identify that. On the contrary. Because this is the rejection of her doctrinal point of view. This is the um, direct statement that her statement is doctrinally inaccurate. On the contrary, blessed or happy are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Happiness is keyed to your occupation with the word of God, both in the perception and application, hearing the word and observing it. That's the formula for happiness in this passage. And as we saw last week throughout the survey of, uh, of happiness passages. All right, we're going to follow it up today with the blessing passages. Before we do, let's take a moment for silent prayer, making sure that each believer is filled with the Spirit and something else. You know what? Before prayer, check your phone. <laughs> I, uh, it's going to happen to me someday, but not today. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful once again for the truth of your word and the privilege and blessing we have to assemble together. Father, it is uh, indeed a freedom that our nation still possesses. Uh, Father, it's a freedom that we acknowledge your grace provision for. We thank you for it. And we ask on this day that you would set aside distractions and take every thought captive in obedience to Christ Jesus. Father, build within us as we examine your scriptures the appreciation for happiness, the appreciation for blessing, and the relationship between the two. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Alright, the reason why we're taking 
the time to go into these areas is because we read something like here, blessed is the womb that bore you, or blessed are those who hear the word and observe it, and we have this term blessed. And it's rather unfortunate that English translations have chosen to do that, even when they recognize um, the the uh, reality of makarios with reference to happiness, with reference to soul capacity for happiness. And uh, some of it, I, I have to believe, I conclude, is the legacy of the King James language, the legacy of um, the Elizabethan English in this. I mean, who in the world wants to rewrite the Beatitudes with uh, happy are the peacemakers, happy are the meek, happy are the poor in spirit, and so forth. We've had 300 years of blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. And we've had all the uh, the uh, legacy of that, I think, for these last 300 and some odd years, almost 400 years now. We're coming up on the 400th birthday, two more years from now, of the King James English. Now... Um, so the confusion comes in, and I'm just going to skip on down. If I have the right slide here, I don't have the right slide, but we'll bring it up anyway. Happiness and blessing are interrelated and inseparable. Interrelated and inseparable. And we're going to see how not only are is the vocabulary rather interrelated, but the passages that link them are interesting uh the we want to understand though that blessings are not the tangible goodies prizes toys things that god provides for us in that are you bringing me a cup of coffee oh well bless you thank you so much i have been blessed this will be an application in our class today when we discuss blessings i have been blessed and i am happy to have coffee to drink this morning But we want to understand that happiness is not a response to a quantity of blessings. Happiness actually is a blessing. If you have the sole capacity for happiness, count that as a blessing from the Father, what he has provided for those who occupy with the Word of God, who hear the Word and observe it. Happiness is a blessing, and uh, hopefully we'll start to break these concepts down. The vocabulary we gave you already a couple weeks back, the happiness terms, I include the uh, Makarios family in the Greek, a verb, an adjective, and a noun there. Also the Asher terms from the Hebrew, uh, the son Asher that was born there because uh, in the competition among Jacob's wives, she thought that um, having a boy there would make her happy and uh, help her to uh, beat her sister and her rivals for the affections of, of Jacob. The blessing terms, this is what we'll get, get into today is the eulogy family, the eulageo family in Greek, the verb eulageo, the uh, noun there eulagetos, or the uh, adjective eulagetos, and the noun eulagia, where we get the English word eulogy. This is what we're going to examine today, and I hope that we do not lose track of the verbal component to these blessings. We think of blessings, we usually don't think of them verbally. We think of blessings in tangible ways. That you have financial blessings, you have health blessings, you have uh, material blessings of whatever form or fashion. But the verbal component of blessing is what we're going to see stressed again and again and again and again. And 
along with that verbal component is the very power of words, the very nature of the God who interrelates with His creation through speaking. He spoke and the universe sprang into being. God said, let there be light and there was light. Every blessing of God is in fact a pronouncement. It is a verbal utterance. And so we will look at that. The Hebrew term is Barak. Barak. All right. So we have now a president blessing in terms of the definition of his name. Barak and the noun form Barakah. And uh, you maybe have heard of a church named Baraka. All right. So let's get past the happiness passages. Under point B, what we're giving you in these two angles now are what I'm titling rapid survey of happiness and blessing passages. And what we do in this kind of a format, it's not outlined, it's not structured, it's not uh, systematized, it's by no means uh, thoroughly developed. It is a rapid survey. And so we throw up there a dozen, two dozen, five dozen passages, and those are the ones we looked at last week. We looked at a string of happiness passages. And you say, well, what's the benefit of just throwing up a hundred scriptures and digging all through them? Well, you learn with the benefit last week. <laughs> There's always benefit in saturating yourself with the scriptures. I hope, and we may end up doing more of this in different applications, um, there's a value to the to the survey, the rapid survey, just uh, taking in a whole bulk of scriptures in a concentrated format. And then, of course, there's a benefit in the systematized approach. And, and you want to do both. At, at some point, you want to do both in your study. Uh, we've gone through the happiness passages already. We're going to tackle the blessing passages today. And what, what happens, of course, when you systematize it, is you take every passage in Scripture that applies to a doctrine or a word or a theme or, or what have you, uh, say you're going to study shepherding. So shepherding is important, right? We're a church. We're a flock. We're supposed to have a shepherd. There's shepherding that should take place. Well, what does the Bible say about shepherding? And the first order of business then is to scour everything from Genesis to Revelation and compile a list, a database, a, 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 a a list of every passage, every verse, every word, every scrap that has anything to do with shepherding. And you compile that all in a totality and you say, all right, here is what we have. This is everything the Bible has to say about shepherding. And then, then the task falls upon the uh, Bible teacher to then put it in some kind of a structure whereby you can study it, whereby you can digest it, whereby you can feed it to a flock, whereby you can uh, comprehend the doctrinal implications of shepherding. So there's obviously the, the, the highest value comes in the systematic, line upon line, precept upon precept, uh, doctrinal teaching of the Word of God. Don't get me wrong. That is the best form of teaching imaginable. However, the value for doing these rapid surveys, and there's the list for blessing. The value in doing the rapid surveys is this. You get a concentrated dose of verses in a very short period of time, the combined value of which serves to create an impression, serves to create an immediate impression. And, and uh, I don't know, there's different... People have different terms for this, but I, I think of it, my term for it, I like the impression of totality. The impression of totality. You put all the scriptures together, 
run through them. And then when you're done, you evaluate and pray over and consider and ask the Father to, uh, to make clear to you what is the impression now that I'm left with. What is it that I'm taking away from this concentrated time in the Scriptures? What is it that, that um, I'm walking away from? What's my impression of this way of this weight of scriptures, see, and then of course you go back and systematize it. You go back and break it down. You 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 pull them out. You reorder them. You structure them. You put them into a format by which we can learn. All right. So let's go back to the beginning then, because blessings. You'll know blessings come throughout uh, scripture, Genesis to Revelation. We'll start with Genesis chapter one. Happiness also took us from Genesis to Revelation. Many of the passages we associate with blessing are actually happiness passages. And uh, it's important, I think, that we distinguish between them. But let's start to gain some impressions now regarding blessings. Can't decide if I'm going to sneeze or not. Guess not. All right. Now, if you're sitting here live in class, you have the blessing of being able to look up at the screen and see the passages. If you're listening to an MP3 file, then you don't have that blessing. So you just have to follow along as we get to them. Because to just read this slide top to bottom would be tedious. Um, Genesis 1. Let's just start with Genesis. Chapter 1, verses 22 and 28. Chapter 2 and verse 3, chapter 5 and verse 2, chapter 9, verse 1 and 26, chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, 14, that's chapter 14, verses 19 and 20, chapter 17, verses 16 and 20, chapter 18, verse 18, chapter 22, verses 17 and 18, chapter 24, goodness gracious, look at all these verses, verse 1, 11, 27, 31, 35, 48, and 60. Chapter 25, verse 11, 26, chapter 26, verses 3, 4, 12, 24, and 29. If you thought chapter 24 was long, look at chapter 27. Genesis 27. Does that make an impression? I mean, do you see the value of doing this? I mean, just listing the verses, you look at verse 27 and go, whoa, wait a minute. Verse 4, 7, 10, 12, 19, 23, 25, 27, 29, 30, 31, 33, 34, 35, 36, 38, and 41. You think maybe that chapter has something to do with blessing? Maybe? All right. Chapter 28, verses 1, 3, 4, 6, and 14. Chapter 30, verses 27 and 30. 31, 55. 32, 26 and 29. Chapter 33, verse 11. Chapter 35 and verse 9. Chapter 39 and verse 5. Chapter 47. This is all in Genesis. Chapter 47. Verses 7 and 10, chapter 48, verses 3, 9 and 15, 16 and 20. And finally, chapter 49, verses 25, 26 and 28. All right. No need to repeat all that because if you are, in fact, listening to the MP3 file, just rewind it. Rewind and listen to it again. Okay. So, Genesis. Let's start with some blessings. Let's start to understand what blessings are and what they aren't. All right. So, day-by-day account. And the different things God created, the different things, the different statements of goodness 
and things we've been looking at in our Plan of God series and so forth. But we get down to verse 22. Uh, verse 20, God said, Let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves. These are the Tanin, the Leviathan dragons. Every living thing which moves, the waters uh, swarmed after their kind, every winged bird after its kind. God saw that it was good and God blessed them. And it's interesting he doesn't bless the uh, elements of creation prior to this. There are elements that are good. The light is good and uh, other things are good when he creates the stars and the sun and moon and the different statements of goodness. But this is the first reference here to blessing. So God blessed them saying. He blessed them saying. Notice the blessing is a verbal activity. And in saying these things, he is, in fact, blessing them. What he tells them are the instructions that they are to follow. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, or fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. There was the evening, morning, the fifth day. All right. So the first statement of blessing, similar to the statements we've observed of happiness, they are attached to the Word of God. They're attached to the statements he makes. He blesses them saying. And in the blessings, he is pronouncing uh, his will, pronouncing his desire. Things that he wants to see come about. Things that will come about because he will bring them about. This is one of the big differences we're going to observe between divine blessings that God utters and human blessings that we utter. Because we are finite. And we don't speak and observe the reality of existence uh, transform. God says, let there be light. And there was light. I say, let there be light. And I got to go flip a switch. Right? And even that probably won't work. I lost the light in my office yesterday. I don't know what, what I'm going to do about that. Um, <laughs> Gary installed it. I don't think he's coming back from heaven to, to take a look at it. So we'll figure something out. Uh, but so human beings can say something. Is it going to happen? Not through the force or power of our utterance. All right. What we're going to learn as we start to see the human utterances of blessing, when fathers bless their sons, for example, and they they make statements regarding the future. They make statements of wish or desire, what are called wish prayers in that genre of literature, the wish prayers, we find that what we state, we're stating in terms of a prayer request, that prayer request consistent with God's will or consistent with what God has revealed in his word. And hopefully that will become pretty obvious here also. So the animals are blessed. And then Adam and Eve, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Important to note that this second blessing is giving the sovereignty over the uh, creatures that were blessed in the first blessing. That's uh, overlooked in some cases when people want to worship the animals rather than uh, function in their stewardship over the animals. Now, 
What do we see here again? The blessing is verbal. It is stated. It is a declaration of what they should do. So I hope we understand that blessings are inescapably attached to the Word of God and how the Word of God is instructing us in the things we should be doing. In chapter 2, we see that God blesses the seventh day. He blesses and sanctifies it. Here's a connection that we're going to want to explore in future studies. What is the link between blessings and sanctification? Yeah, they're, they're separate activities, and yet here they're, they're linked. Here they're combined. Blessing is uh, the statement on God's part. Uh, sanctification is the setting apart for the purpose of holiness, the delegation of something for a sacred purpose. So he blesses the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. All right, well, these are our first couple of chapters of Genesis. And nowhere in here do I see blessings defined by... um, uh, phenomenal wealth, <laughs> uh, you know, money or, or uh, any kind of uh, dollar value attached to, uh, to blessings. Over to chapter 5. Similar to what we had in chapter 1, he created the male and female and he blessed them and named them man, Adam, humanity, in the day when they were created so blessings are again verbal they are attached uh, inextricably from the word of god and they are our relationship to them is completely in the orientation of whether we're living that word or not hopefully that will be become clear over to chapter nine what happens in six seven and eight is the flood what happens in chapter nine Flood's over. Adam and Eve get off the or uh, Noah and his family gets off the ark. God blessed Noah. He poured mountains of gold on top of him. He made him wealthy. No. God, what was he going to buy anyway? He and his family are the only people on the on the planet. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, notice verbal component to the blessing. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everlasting, with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are given. Notice also, we've seen every single time so far a verbal component with a blessing. But we've also seen a view to what lies ahead. A view to what lies ahead. When... when Fathers bless their sons. It's a view to what lies ahead. When God blesses Abraham, it's a view to what lies ahead. That all the nations shall be blessed. The Christ child shall be born. And every blessing has a view for what's lying ahead. And perhaps that's the greatest blessing we have of all in terms of our position in Christ and our orientation to the world we live in. Consider those without Christ, without the Word, and what do they have to look forward to? When they anticipate things ahead, when they view or consider things in front of them, what do they have? Well, 
quite a few cases, they've got fear. They've got worry. They've got concerns. They don't have hope. They don't, certainly don't have confidence. And amazingly enough, given this whole past year where all we've heard about is hope and change, hope and change, and we just elected hope and change, and, and yesterday it came to reality, here's the hope and change, why am I not finding people filled with more hope? It's interesting. Well, let's consider what the blessings of God are and with a forward-looking view. Think about the, the Proverbs 31 woman. She smiles at the future. Why is that? Because she's blessed. And you cannot separate blessings from this forward-looking view of confidence and hope. So uh, these are the statements and these are the things that uh, Noah has to look forward to. Down to verse 26, same chapter. Now this is interesting because here we have the first statement of blessing uttered from a human being. And this is uh, also noteworthy that it follows uh, the blessing does not come until the curse is uttered. The curse is uttered in verse 25. Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants he shall be to his brothers. And when the time when the time comes to teach blessings and cursings in a systematized way, not just in a, a rapid survey for impression value, when the time comes to teach blessings and cursings, uh, this is this is a key passage that we're going to examine. But notice the similarities. It's verbal, just like the blessing. It looks forward, just like blessings. I find it interesting. All right. So then the blessing. He also said, "Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem." Let Canaan be his servant. So here's the first statement of blessing coming from human lips. Um, we have taught in the past why Ham was not cursed. Ham was the one who had done the, uh, the sin of this chapter. And yet Noah could not curse Ham. We've taught that in the past. My conclusion is uh, because Ham, Shem, and Japheth had already been blessed uh, from chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons, that included Ham. And if God has blessed someone, can man come along and curse them? No. Ask Balaam, <laughs> whom God has blessed. How can, how can uh, they then be cursed? So, anyway, there's, there's doctrine on that. But what do we have here in verse 26? Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. So again, if your mindset is that blessings are financial, then how in the world does a human being pronounce blessings on the Lord? How do we pour money on God? See, blessed be the Lord. Pronouncements of blessing, um, verbal, looking forward. Does the Lord have good things in front of him? Absolutely he does. And uh, Noah here is delighted to, uh, to proclaim that. All right, over to chapter 12. One of the most powerful blessings in all of Scripture. One that's uh, hated by the adversary. One that's denied by the races and nations on this earth that serve the adversary. The reason why the Jewish people are the most hated people on the planet is because they are the ones that God set apart. And Satan hates that. 
So the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so you shall be a blessing. Notice the, the tie between the activity of God blessing Israel and Israel becoming or being a blessing themselves. And then the all-important promise in verse 3, I will bless those who bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And what goes with that? The one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now we understand that in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed comes about through a number of different applications, the biggest of which is the birth of Jesus Christ, his life, his ministry, his death on the cross, the provision of salvation for uh, fallen man. But even beyond that, there are also temporal blessings to the human race, to the population of planet Earth, through the Jewish people. Have you ever stopped to consider? It's, it's extraordinary, and there's no earthly explanation for it. And um, I, I just, I, I read the statistics, I look at the information, and you just, it just boggles the mind. The um, contributions to science and civilization and uh, world history that have been made completely disproportionate to their population. Tiny population of, of the earth with an extraordinary out-of-proportion impact. And um, it just it, it boggles the mind. And those are, those are just the secular blessings. Those are just the, the, the worldly blessings of establishment life. That's just on top of, of course, the birth of Jesus Christ and, and uh, redemption. Um, don't want to overlook that, of course. But, but in the earthly realm, consider those blessings also. And uh, if, if you don't uh, know what I'm talking about, then just Google it and, and, and find out. Here's what you want to Google. Find out the... Um, uh, oh, there's a number of different ways you can do. But uh, Google the Nobel Prizes for physics... Chemistry, science, medicine, literature. It's, it's unbelievable. It's absolutely... And then you, you identify with their population and it's you cannot put an earthly explanation to it. Some of the websites also will give you a corollary. They'll say now, because you've got thousands of these Jewish Nobel laureates in literature, like I said, Science, physics, medicine, and all the contributions in terms of discoveries and inventions and technology and so forth. <clears throat> then on the other hand, in the Muslim world, in the Muslim world, the numbers are just dismal. Absolutely dismal. Less than 10. And the ones that are, most of those are, yes, they're Arab, but they're Arab Christian. They're not Arab Muslim that have pursued realms of uh, science and technology and advancement and things like that. It's, anyway, I don't want to get off on a side trip or soapbox here, but uh, it's just an illustration of the blessings and cursings that relate to the Jewish people. And God, since the point he uttered this 
2,000 years before Christ, has been fulfilling it consistently in every single generation, in every single nation on the planet. You know, it just Do you find it coincidental that in the year that, uh, that uh, Spain expelled the Jews from their nation, the Spanish Empire began its crumble? Or look what England did in their anti-Semitism and look how the, the British Empire came to an end? Not coincidence. Read your Bibles. Nor is it coincidence that the one nation in the history of the world that has given more freedom and more blessings to Jewish people is us. That's right. And the the, the fact that that Jews can own property, they can start businesses, they can live in peace. They're not afraid for their lives. They can thrive, and they have thrived. There's never been anything like it. And. What's the corollary to that? The wealth and prosperity and blessings and, and favor that, uh, that we have. You know, people talk about, and Christians are good at this in some respects, how God's shining. God shed His grace on thee, right? And shining His face and all this other stuff. And that the reason why is because we were, we were established as a Christian nation and we are this theocracy dream of a you know all that is just post-millennial amillennial dominion theology and it's flawed as it were because we don't have covenant promises to bless us as a christian nation and and this world won't have a legitimate theocracy till jesus christ is seated on the throne of jerusalem now the truth is we aren't blessed because the founding fathers were regenerate i'm thankful they were i'm thankful they were regenerate I'm thankful that they drafted the Constitution after biblical principles. Absolutely. But far more than that, this nation's been blessed by the way that we've treated the Jewish people, both domestically and in foreign uh, policy. We'll see how that changes effective yesterday. I don't know. Okay. Did I call this rapid survey? I think I did. All right, rapid survey. But I will bless those who bless you. The one who curses you, I will curse. So first of all, notice that there is the tying here of divine activity with human activity. Because those who bless you are going to be human beings accomplishing the activity of the Barak blessings. And in response then, in appreciation, in cooperation, and consistent with his designs, God will then bless them. Likewise, if you curse the Jewish people, look out. Plain and simple. All right, over to chapter 14. Abraham with Melchizedek. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High. So he blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High. Now notice, what is the blessing? The blessing is a statement of blessing. He blessed him and said, Blessed be. It's, um, think, about, um, think about statements we make that, of course, don't happen or don't. We, 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 a lot of them are fictional or a lot of them are... Uh, I mean, do we, do we consider the expression, God bless you? Do we consider that, that what that truly is? Or is it just a figure of speech? Is it not the utterance of a blessing? 
And when you say, God bless you, are you not indeed invoking the name of God, which you're not to take in vain, you're invoking the name of God in a uh, prayer statement. Because the blessing isn't coming from you, it's coming from God. And so uh, this is what we see here. Blessed be Abram of God Most High. The reason why Abram is blessed is because he belongs personally to God Most High. El Elyon, Gentile name for the creator of the universe, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. So statements of blessing. I think um, it's kind of sad. I think that this aspect has fallen out of our culture. It's fallen out of our mindset. You know, we walk into a house and we maybe we thank the host for inviting us or saying, you know, we're glad to be here. But do we bless that house? Do we ever utter a blessing? I didn't know we could do that. Am I allowed to do that? Well, we'll see when we get through the New Testament applications that it's not simply an Old Testament formula and it's not, um, we're not stepping out of place if we bless somebody. Nowadays, though, we've forgotten how to do it. We forgot we're supposed to do it. And nowadays, it's just simply uh, be implied after somebody sneezes. Right? <laughs> Ask yourself, when's the last time you blessed a non-sneezing person? Okay. Now, um, the, the, the bulk of these come from Genesis, which should not be surprising. And there's more besides this, by the way. I mean, when you look at, at Barak, there's 327 uses of Barak, and there's 71 uses of Barakah. So we've got nearly 400 places to look at in the Old Testament. We're not looking at a, but a fraction of them. For the impression I want us to walk away with in this class, I think the Genesis blessings are extraordinary because they lay the foundation. And they are saturated in the Jewish people. They're saturated in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob throughout Genesis. All right, so uh, that's chapter 14. And uh, even though Melchizedek is a priest, even though he's a prophet, even though he's a king, he is still a Gentile. And even though Abraham gives the tithe to Melchizedek, Melchizedek pronounces the blessings on Abraham. All right, over to chapter 17, Genesis 17, verses 16 and 20. Uh, God said to Abraham, this is the promise of the son. She was laughing over the whole idea and she'd already even tried to help God out because God made a promise of a son. She figures, well, God needs help keeping his promises. So she gives her Egyptian handmaiden to Abraham. And indeed, a son is born problems ever since for the Jewish people. Um, One of the first things we learn right off the bat is that God does not need our help keeping his promises. As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah will be her name. I will bless her and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. I think it's interesting. Abraham fell on his face and laughed, and yet his laughter is the positive laughter. The, the, the positive laughter just tickled and delighted and thrilled that God is just so amazing. 
it was not a laugh with lack of faith. It was a laugh in the awareness and amazement about how glorious God is. And uh, the promises associated with that. Ishmael. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him. And this is interesting. Why will God bless Ishmael? Because he deserves it? No. And his descendants certainly don't. But why does he bless Ishmael? Because Abraham wanted to. Abraham wanted to. I think this really, really bothers some folks. Uh, it bothers folks why Moab and Ammon have an inheritance to the millennial kingdom. You say, well, why is that? Because Abraham gave Lot a portion of his land grant. And so Moab and Ammon, you say, well, yeah, but they're godless nations. They're evil nations. They were born of incest with Lot's daughters. And oh, my goodness. Well, the fact remains, Abraham blessed Lot. And I think there's some elements there that we want to study more thoroughly. So as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him, will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. There's principles out of this, too, that we would, in a structured study, we would evaluate what happens when a blessed people doesn't have the capacity to appreciate and, uh, and glorify God for the blessings they've received. All right, 1818. The Lord said, this is, this is key, in verse 17, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Now, obviously, God knows what he's going to do. He doesn't pace around in heaven and debate back and forth. Do I do this? Do I do that? And what do I do? <laughs> but it's communicated to us in this kind of language so that we can understand the thinking process that went behind it. Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. For I have chosen him. For I have chosen him. All right. Notice the blessing there attached to Election. Think there's any work that needs to be done on that concept? Over to chapter 22, verses 17 and 18. Genesis 22. What we learn with God's blessings is that they are conditional upon His good pleasure, conditional upon His plan and purpose. And when we think that there's no way they can be fulfilled, maybe. This sneeze has been pending for 45 minutes. It's amazing. All right. God promises to bless Abraham. God promises a child. Abraham has to wait till he's 100 years old to receive this child. And then Abraham's told to kill this child. <laughs> the, the extraordinary depth of doctrine in this, in this chapter is, is amazing to go through. And yet, Abraham responds in faith every step of the way. We're told in Hebrews, he considers, well, God made the promise. He'll either bring him back from the dead or he'll do something else. He's got a plan. And so here we have the test. 
and everything that's told here, not everything that Abraham learns, and, and the picture that this story teaches. And then right at the last minute, Abraham, Abraham, and he took out the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. And then when he took the knife to slay his son, you know, I, I think that the arm was in a downward motion. And the angel held it fast. So, um, of course, the, the ram takes his place and, and uh, the animal that suffers in place of the human and all the doctrine that goes into substitutionary atonement, all, all kinds of stuff in here. But uh, Abraham calls the name of that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. And that is a fitting title. Jehovah Jireh is a fitting title when you examine the aspects of divine blessing. The Lord will provide. And what he provides is a blessing. And what he withholds is a blessing. We don't want to get like Mrs. Job and just start thinking that blessings are only the good things that we like. And uh, we want to realize the blessings is everything he provides for us. Prosperity, adversity, the things he grants, the things he withholds. It's all for our blessing. And uh, the angel of the Lord called Abraham a second time. Behold, I myself have sworn, declares the Lord. And he goes on. Because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, indeed I will greatly bless you. Notice what happens here. Blessing now becomes greatly. You notice it's intensification from blessing to great blessing. I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and so forth. So blessing becomes greater blessing in, in the uh, consequence of obedience here. This is such a powerful chapter. I know Randy's gone through this chapter and I've gone through this chapter repeatedly. It's a, it's a beautiful chapter. It's a powerful chapter. It's one that I've used and, and will continue to use with Muslims because their Quran changes the story here. And the interesting thing is, is they miss the point when they, sub, when they say, oh, it wasn't Isaac, it was Ishmael. Ishmael was the son that Abraham was supposed to kill. You know, Ishmael was the son that he loved. Ishmael was the son of blessing. Uh, yada, yada. Okay, fine. Change your story. But why change the story when the story itself is meaningless? Because everything you and I love this story for. I mean, what is this? This is a picture of God the Father willing to sacrifice His only begotten Son. Right? So, they got a problem. Because we can read this and appreciate it, go to the Gospels and read the fulfillment of it, and praise God that the only begotten Son... Uh, was not spared. There was no substitute. There could be no substitute. He had to die as our substitute. All right. The Quran, even though it contains this story, swaps out Ishmael for Isaac. It contains the story, but then what does it do? It goes on to tell you that, oh, by the way, God doesn't have a son. Jesus was not the son of God. And Jesus didn't die on the cross. They say, Jesus... Uh, they wanted to put him on a cross, but instead uh, he was rescued and called up into heaven and Barabbas took his place or Judas Iscariot took his place. They, 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 they can't keep their story straight. They got different legends on that. But the Koran is unanimous in two things. Jesus is not God's son or Allah's son because Allah doesn't have a son. And number two, Jesus did not die on the cross. They're very clear on those two points. Did you know that? Am I telling you something new you never heard this morning? All right. So uh, 
when, when the Quran says that God, that God doesn't have a son and Jesus is not the son of God and says that Jesus didn't die on the cross, then those are two very big problems, are they not? <laughs> how, how do you reconcile that written record with our scriptures? You can't. And how do you get along with, oh, well, it's all the same God. It's all, you know, it's all garbage, evil, blasphemy. Quit saying that stuff. But now, this is why I love using this in, as an apologetic, as a witnessing tool to Muslims. Because you can ask them about these components. And, you know, Abraham willing to sacrifice his son. Really? Why do you think it's important that a father loves his only begotten son? Does that have any significance? Why is he willing to slay his son? Does that have any significance? And the aspect of a substitutionary death here where the Lord will provide, does that have any significance? You kept the story, you changed the actors, but you missed the point. This, this picture is God the Father, God the Son, and His death on the cross. And if nothing else, you're going to give them something to think about and say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Why is that? Why is that? And they're, they're so quick to say, well, people are changing stories. You're changing stories. And there's some story changing going on. But it's the Arabs changing the story in their Muslim Bible, their Muslim Quran. Okay? There's some changes going on. You know, because who changed it? Did the Jews change it in Genesis or the Christians change it in the Gospels? Or were they cooperating to change it? What is it? God gave the prophecy in the Old Testament, fulfilled it in the New Testament. And your little forgery here about Ishmael on the mountain is, uh, is exposed. Anyway, it's a powerful chapter. I could spend a month on that chapter. All right, the lengthy ones here in chapter 24 and chapter 26 and chapter 27. We start looking at Isaac. And again and again and again and again, the servant is relating to Laban how... God has blessed Abraham. Again and again and again, how God has blessed Abraham throughout chapter 24. Throughout chapter 24. And I think this distracts people because they see the references to uh, camels and livestock and wealth and money. And they go, aha, I knew it. I knew it. I knew that blessings was all about money. Okay. And again, they miss the point that money is featured in, these cha- in this chapter as an application of blessing. But what does it come back to every single time? God provided it. God provided it. And he's got a reason for providing it. And uh, I think in the handful of cases where God permits uh, his servants to be, um, uh, shall we say, economically uh, lavish (laughs) in those few cases it's because it takes a tremendous capacity to be able to handle that all right uh 26 27 i think um this time's escaping me here let's go over to chapter 27 because this not only is it the longest string of verses on the board but it is also fundamentally a chapter where when you categorize the doctrines of blessing, you've got to understand why it is that um, 
Jacob was so desirous of receiving the blessing rather than Esau and uh, why he lied and and did all this. Didn't have to, of course. Does God need help keeping his promises? No. You know, Sarah, his grandmother Sarah could have told him that. But nevertheless, Jacob feels like he needs to uh, deceive in order to receive what had been promised. So I think we also observe here some carnality on Isaac's part. You ever stop to consider how carnal Isaac is right now? All right, it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son, and he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow, go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare a savory dish for me such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat so that my soul may bless you before I die. There's so many ways that Isaac was just like his father. Their sin patterns were highly compatible. That expression, sins of the father, is not just a figure of speech. When the sin nature is passed from father to son, so too are the proclivities and weaknesses and and aspects of the sin nature. That's why when I started to grow up, I started to learn some things about, (laughs) about my dad. I never knew. How did I find that out? Well, I learned about my sin nature. And then what did I do? I said, hmm, I better provide instruction for my sons. I better make sure they're on guard. Elements that happen there. Well, anyway, we see, like when you compare chapter 12 with chapter 20 and lying about a sister and afraid for his life, different things. Here, too, we find another similarity between Abraham and Isaac. They're both preoccupied with their oldest boys that they have tremendous temporal life uh, rapport. Yeah, imagine all the hunting trips they used to take together. Now Isaac's old, he's blind, he can't go out there, but he says, you know, you go on out there. Shoot one for me, bring it back. Let's have one last good meal here. Imagine they probably went out and cooked off a few rounds and shot some tin cans and whatever they did. They're just father and son kind of stuff. And yet, he knows that the older will serve the younger. That was prophesied at the birth of these twins. I think the evidence of Isaac's carnality here is, is undeniable. Perhaps the neatest or the, the something we don't think about very often. It's obvious that God's blessing the younger to serve the older, and Abraham Isaac's trying to defy that. Isaac's trying to defy that. And as far as he knows, he succeeds. Because he pronounces blessings on whom he thinks is Esau. And he's not he doesn't find out until after the fact that he was thwarted in his attempt to uh, thwart the plan of God. You can't thwart God's plan. So um I think that's obvious. He's out of the will of God. He's carnal. He's trying to do the opposite of what God wants done. But even in spite of that, does Isaac die in Genesis 27? When does Isaac finally die? Many chapters after chapter 27. Not only many chapters after chapter 27, decades in time after chapter 27. He's not near death. He just thinks he is. He's he's full of himself. He's full of despair. He's full of grief. He's full of everything that you get full of when you're out of the Word of God. 
carnality, selfishness, despair, regrets, all kinds of things here. So Rebecca was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for a game to bring home, Rebecca said to her son, all right, now we've got to work together on this. This is what happens when a mom gets involved in a conspiracy. She ropes somebody else into it. <laughs> All right. We're familiar with this chapter, right? I mean, we've taught it before. We've taught it at great length. The whole string of blessings here. Let's get down to the point where they actually are blessed. And let's see the content of that blessing. Down to verse 27. I don't want to omit something here, though. It's time and time and time again. Isaac's skeptical. And he, he's, something's not right, and he can't quite pinpoint it. And, uh, and I think, too, you know, when you're carnal and you're naturally of a devious mindset and you start to try to out-devious the other people in their devious mindset and whatever. And Anyway, how'd you come back so quickly? You know, skepticism. Well, I got an answer. The Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. And uh, that should have been a clue right there. I don't think Esau ever talked about Yahweh Elohim, but that's okay. And then, well, come close so I can feel you. He's still skeptical. He's skeptical because of the time. He's skeptical. Uh, he wants to feel him. And the, the hairy hands because he was wearing the, the lamb skin and, and all that. And then the voice and then the smell. And then finally... He said, come close and kiss me, my son. He came close and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his garments. He blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord God has blessed. And so all of the skepticism and all of these things. And, and by the way, they, each one of them was an opportunity for Jacob to confess. It was a chance for Jacob to do it right. And say, well, okay, the reason why I'm back so soon is because I'm not Esau. All right. Or uh, you know what? I'm, I'm, I got skins on my hand. Let me take them off. I'm, I'm smooth. <laughs> okay. I'm wearing my brother's clothes. And each, every one of these confession opportunities goes by. And uh, Jacob proceeds with the, conf- with the uh, deception. So, but now look at the blessing. I'm out of time. Let's look at the blessing. May God give you of the dew of heaven. The blessing is verbal. The blessing is looking to the future. The blessing is a pronouncement of God's good dealings with his son. So may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and the abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. And he thinks he's blessing Esau with this. And then he says, Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. He uses the language of the Abrahamic covenant in his thinking that he's bestowing them upon Esau. All right, well, we'll pick up on this next week. I got kind of bogged down there in in, uh, Genesis. That's all right. Um, There's more to, to cover on this. I think the national blessings of Israel in Deuteronomy 28 need to be looked at. 
the Psalms have quite a bit to say about blessing, you would think. I picked out one, my favorite, Psalm 103, that applied a blessing. And then we get to the New Testament passages and things that are going to pertain to us in the body of Christ. How do we bless one another? How do we bless one another? We get a clue in Romans 12. It's a spiritual gift chapter, isn't it? I don't know. I'm just saying. All right. We'll uh, come back to the study. Is this thorough, comprehensive, systematic, structured, categorized? No. We have not undertaken a categorical doctrine of blessing. We are doing a rapid survey of blessing passages and we are allowing the scripture to leave us with impressions based on the first impression observations we're making in every one of these uh, every one of these areas. All right. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for the truth of your word. Father, we thank you that your word is alive and powerful and it will not return void. It does accomplish the purpose for which you said it. We thank you for uh, saturating us last week with the happiness passages, saturating us this week and now next with the, uh, the blessing passages. Father, as we saturate our souls with your word, I pray, Father, that the impressions that are left behind might be such that they give us things to think about, chew on, study even more, pray over, even just considering them in the back of our mind when future studies address applications of happiness and applications of blessing. Thank you for uh, equipping us with such uh, studies, and thank you for a lampstand that loves the Word of God and makes the studying of the Word of God their top priority. Uh, We do. We've made comments today, Father, regarding the presidential inauguration yesterday. Uh, There are matters that are matters for our concern, and yet there are matters that we walk by faith and rest in your plan, knowing that your purpose will be achieved. And, Father, we do pray for our president, not only because we're commanded to and we have to, but because we want to, Father. We want to see that man uh, accept Christ as a Savior, become uh, our brother in Christ, and start to orient his life and decisions patterned after the uh, clear and accurate, dispensational, rightly divided teaching of your truth. And Father, we pray for him, we pray for him daily, we pray for our nation, and we thank you for these ongoing freedoms. We thank you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.